Warning, this episode of the Seriously Wrong Podcast is going to issue you a $1,000 check if you listen to it all the way through. That's $1,000, no strings attached. Imagine what you could do with that. Second warning, this episode of the Seriously Wrong Podcast costs $1,000 to listen to if you listen to it all the way through. So that kind of tempers the free 1k we're giving you i guess but it is technically true that we're giving everyone who listens to this episode one thousand dollars we're just also billing you one thousand dollars and kind of you don't have to even deal with any of the nonsense of like receiving and paying the money out again it's kind of all automated it's taken care of for you but just know you did get the 1k and then decide to spend it on listening to the episode that pays you the 1k so That's the warning and more episode to come, starting now. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Seriously Wrong Podcast. We are your hosts, the Wrong Boys. My name is Sean. I am Aaron. And we try to do a show every week. And now it is time for the part of everyone's day where they ask for money and it isn't weird. I can tell from your posture that you're really comfortable with this part. It's like breathing to me and it feels just as natural. I take a breath in, I remind people to head to Patreon, six bucks a month get all the bonus episodes help us keep making the show uh, means so much to us i take a breath out it's just yeah natural. i take a breath in i like there's a discord server private facebook group you can talk about the show talk to other people who listen to the show get the whole back catalog of episodes including the revolution series that's ongoing breathe out it's completely normal i don't feel weird about it Today's episode of Seriously Wrong is proudly brought to you by fucking Thousand Time. Thousand Times when you fucking open up your mailbox, you open it, you got a little check in there, you crack open the fucking envelope, what do you got? A fucking G, fucking grand, Thousand Time, one Every fucking thousand. fucking month, sweet thousand. I fucking love Thousand Time. That moment you crack the envelope and see your sick fucking thou in there. Fuck yeah, man. I fucking saved $1,000 every fucking month for four fucking months and bought a four fucking thousand dollar computer. You fucking love computing or something? That's a fucking beast of a computer. Four fucking thousand? Fuck yeah, I had a lot of fucking computations to make and that was just four months. I fucking say, four fucking months. One thousand fucking dollars every fucking month. Fuck yeah, dude. I fucking love that. Every time I get a fucking thou, thousand time, baby. Proud fucking sponsor. Today's seriously wrong. Fuck yeah. Today's episode, I thought we could talk again about something that we used to talk about all the time basic income a version of welfare that everyone gets all the time there's various models for how all the time that is and what exactly that means to have an income that is universal you know people shouldn't start at zero we should all have purchasing power whatever you want to do with your life if you want to work on projects or build skills or do anything like you should always have an income even if you can't or it's best for you not to be working a job at that moment. It's universal, it's basic, 
and it's an income. It was advocated for by Martin Luther King Jr. Thomas Paine. These are some real liberal heavyweights have all come out in favor of basic income. And also there was talk of Nixon implementing it in the 1970s. It ended up not passing through the House and the Senate, but it was something that was seriously talked about. Yeah, it was just strange to think of that a Republican government almost approved mass cash payments to everyone. And a lot of people who advocate for basic income will say that by having a basic income, you're going to get rid of the stigma that comes with receiving welfare, social assistance, food stamps, or whatever. The idea is that welfare is something poor people need because they you know, haven't succeeded in society and that's wrong or bad. And basic income, everyone gets no matter what. So it's, like, it's hard to stigmatize something that it f- is for everyone. And the idea that you have people whose job is to sit behind a counter and deny people benefits who ask and getting rid of those jobs and liquidating the money that goes to paying for their job and putting it into the funds of what everyone gets. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an appealing idea. It's a good argument because it is in many places, but especially in the United States, applying for food stamps and welfare, people are treated really poorly and made to prove how poor they are in like this bizarre ritualistic fashion. And then ultimately, in many cases, denied resources that they legitimately need. But it's basically a modification on welfare. And the evidence from around the world, all the basic income tests that have been tried tend to show that a lot of the very scarcity-oriented negative things about basic income and welfare that people say are wrong. For example, there was an experiment in Dauphin, Manitoba, where they found that the only people who actually chose to work less were single mothers and students. Yeah, there's a lot of like social benefits. I think like people went to the doctor less. People reported, obviously, lower stress levels. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, and it basically goes to show anywhere in the world that they've tried it in any form, they find that good things happen to people. Yeah, people They're, like it. They don't become unable to motivate themselves, like <laughs> sucking their thumb in a corner, being like, where's welfare bottle? I can't do anything. I've become immobilized by these handouts and now I have no ability to achieve anymore. That's like, uh, yeah, (laughs) that doesn't end up happening. People still have internal motivation. (laughs) They're still human beings, interestingly. And there's also this narrative, right, of like, well, with the basic income money. Now, of course, this is totally different from welfare. So just forget about the existence of welfare. This is basic income. It's got a different set of principles when people talk about it. Basic income is entrepreneurial, unlike welfare. The people on basic income, you know, they're starting their first startups. They're you can use that money to invest <laughs> or something. Yeah, exactly. It's funny. And it's a good thing. It's like a reframing because like ultimately basic income sounds good because you're like, I could use more money. But then also there's people who really need money in society. And like, it's hard to get welfare for people who even need it. And then it's not enough when they do get it. And this is a way that they get more money. That's good. Yeah. And I mean, generally, the idea is that rich people are going to pay for this and the money's going to go to poor people. So it's just a constant, massive wealth redistribution program. And then also there's sort of an ethical argument of like, these are the resources of the planet. It's our shared inheritance. All the land rent that comes up around me is raises in value partially because of my presence, my demand to be here. Mm -hmm, And that who could really say they have a claim to the land in in the truest sense around the world? Like the true landlord is humanity, you know, not. Yeah, yeah, it's (laughs) our common inheritance is the planet and the idea that we're just born into this situation where some people get land and some people don't because of history. 
is unjust. Strange, yeah. It's a strange idea, for sure. Not only all of that, but there's actually like an underlying moral premise that human beings have dignity and have a right to be here and are welcome. By existing, you can't be unwelcome if you've got basic income, you've got money to spend. Because, you know, you can have sort of an abstract idea of freedom, but also in a sense, freedom is money. You're free to do what you can afford to do. Like, I'm free to get a plane halfway around the world tomorrow if I want, but can I afford to take the day off work? Do I have enough money in my bank account to do that? So in a really meaningful sense... The basic income is a distribution of basic freedom, universal basic freedom. So yeah, that's the description of why I like basic income, how we got here mm-hmm. today. I think it's an important part of the conversation. And? <laughs> <laughs> and I even once wrote an article in Rank and File. You can probably still find it online. Rank and File is a Canadian labor publication. And someone had written an article called Beware of Basic Income, where they were criticizing basic income and saying that it was a neoliberal plot that basic income was something that... Meant to appease the masses, throw them table scraps, hook them into capitalism, making them dependent on this basic income, leading us into a sort of neo-feudalist, neo-libertarian future. Something like that, yeah. Warning, look who your fellow travelers are here. now. So one of the appeals of basic income also is it's got wide appeal across the ideological spectrum. Something that people from Martin Luther King to Milton Friedman agree upon. Right. What a beautiful coming together. But then what this article was saying, and this article incidentally was by Michal Rozworski, who is on our episode, The People's Republic of Walmart. Yeah, right, right. So in his article, he was criticizing, saying, hey, look who you're traveling alongside. What is their version like? The broad idea, sure, may be fine. But is this a really strong leftist idea? Is this something that we should just go along with? And I wrote a response piece, you know, beware of a future without basic income. And I went through the sort of arguments, the classic basic income arguments, why it's good. And that was it. It was was totally cool with it. It was never like a, oh, we hate each other now. You guys didn't fight or anything when we had him on the show. (laughs) No, we get along great. So I totally love basic income. It's so good. It's such an important thing. And like the future has got to have basic income. However, oh, there's a however. Oh. I've recently become a little bit concerned about basic income and the way that it's talked about. And I've been getting extremely online about it. I've been like <laughs> multiple hundred comment <laughs> comment threads about it. And it's because, okay, there's a presidential candidate by the name of Andrew Yang. Yes. Andrew Yang is running on a basic income. He's a sort of a long shot Democratic candidate. He's featured on the Joe Rogan podcast recently, which raises popularity. And he's Mm -hmm. raised enough donations from enough individual people to potentially be included in the Democratic debates, which is exciting for his big thing is basic income. Yeah, it's his main selling point. I think the reason that he's been able to get so many small donations is because there's just very recently become a surge of memes about him. His basic income is 1k a month. And $1,000 is an attractive prospect for most people, if you imagine $1,000. So you've probably seen all the memes. If not, you can imagine them. $1,000 is great. Not having $1,000 is bad. Writes itself a million different variations. (laughs) But yeah, he's a self-described capitalist. He is a former CEO. He comes from a business background. So people on the left are pretty skeptical of him. And a lot of it is falling along those lines of arguments that you were talking about. It's a neoliberal plot to gut welfare and other social programs 
and create a permanent underclass of people while automation takes over and you know the rich people can move to the stars with their amazing technology and the 1k schlubs on earth can chill until the planet burns or whatever who cares yeah and there's a lot of in yang's rhetoric he is very sort of progressive about a lot of things he wants to free nonviolent drug offenders big fan of that medicare for all big fan of that yeah yeah so had sort of a critical eye to andrew yang because this is bernie's election hashtag it's his turn this time it's our turn to steal the primary and because basic income is something that post-scarcity, techno-utopian-leaning communists are something that they've talked about a lot, and they're also a big part of the Bernie faction, just like maybe not techno-utopians, it's more specific, but like ecologically-minded socialists and leftists in general, that's Bernie's base. And so I think there's a lot of concern that Yang is cutting into Bernie's base. There's some Yang stands on my friends list that were Bernie stands in 2016. And people are going beast mode. They got to protect grandpa. This insurgent young buck is coming after grandpa. <laughs> we got to protect him. Well, and the thing is, is like for me really sincerely, like grandpa is better. And like all, all joking aside about rigging the democratic primary, like I would really, really like Bernie Sanders to win this primary and become president. Just yeah, yeah. And if I like, going to defend Yang in a bit here, but I just want to put it up front. Bernie is way better. Bernie has a lifelong record of voting on actual things and being in government. And we know where he stands because he's stood there his whole life and his record proves it. And it is his turn. And it's, it's Bernie time. <laughs> and I want to acknowledge something also, which is that we're both Canadians and we're talking about this American election like it's what we should focus on, which is funny because there's a presidential election in America next year, but there's a federal uh, election yeah. in Canada this year. And we're taking up time on our podcast, which is recorded in Canada by Canadians to talk about Andrew Yang and Bernie Sanders. Yeah, not even the American presidential election, which fair enough, it affects Canada a lot, but this is the primary. Like I've had more thoughts and opinions about the Democratic Party primary than I've had about our entire real election that's gonna happen in a few months. And I wanna acknowledge that because it is bad in a sense that Canadians get sort of caught up in this. Bernie Sanders is the most popular politician in Canada. Like if you measure public opinion, Bernie Sanders Sanders is the most popular politician. People have done that. They like pit him against Canadian politicians as well. Yeah, he... I think it's like favorability <laughs> and, and awareness. Like he's just way at the top. That's so but funny. Canadians don't know there's three major parties and one of them has basically just been sort of like the Bernie Sanders-ish party, like outside left pushing in. And they went more conservative starting in the late 90s up until recently, but the NDP. Bernie Sanders E. If you want to see what could happen if Bernie Sanders wins and like some of the pitfalls of social democracy, you could look at the history of the NDP. I think it's a useful exercise for Americans to understand the limitations of the NDP. Probably our job to educate them on that. But I also want to defend participation in this discourse. And the reason that I think it's really important to engage with electoral politics beyond just voting, but through the conversational and narrative realms is because most people are pretty apolitical all the time. But Campaign season is when apolitical people become more political and are subject to political thoughts and imaging and political questions are asked of them. It doesn't usually happen. It's a time when people are engaged. It's like the political heartbeat of 
our society is like election season where everyone to some degree pays attention and looks at, oh, so-and-so is going to be president or whatever. This person wants to do this. This person wants to do this. Yeah. To bring it back to Andrew Yang, we've been talking about basic income for years, but now like way more people are talking about basic income because one of the presidential candidates. That's his platform. It's, I mean, he has lots of things in his platform, but that's his main point, his basic income. So he, through participating in the election cycle, has brought that idea to the forefront. And so it gives us all an opportunity to really dissect it and talk about it and like have that cultural conversation. Today on the show, we're going to be brainstorming some brand new universal basics. Just really basic things. You'd want universal basic food for everybody, universal basic housing for everybody, universal basic clothing for everybody. Yeah, and you know, on Earth right now, societies at their best deliver something that can sort of approach that in some ways where you have like community organizations distributing clothes and food. And I mean, if you want to build universal basic housing, I think the way to do it is just build a whack ton of housing and then make it income tied. So like you're paying a percentage of your income fixed. Then you have the richer people participating in it, subsidizing the units of the poorer people. And it's universally accessible, but it's also class conscious. With uh, universal basic food, one way to implement it would be to require, we have these food dispensaries all over every city in the world restaurants utilize them to offer one basic free meal at least universal basic food or have participatory community restaurants where big meals are made for large groups and it's all given out for free and that kind of combines universal basic food with universal basic community spaces we already have universal basic books in the form of libraries yeah and that's not ownership of books that's access to the content of books which is available free to anyone to sign up for a library card, pick out the books they want, borrow them, take care of them, read them, and return them. Now, that's a model I'd like to universalize. Yeah, well, I mean, universal basic books could be made so much more universal with free ebooks for everyone at any time. Maybe you'd need universal basic Kindles to make that work. Then that opens up the door for like universal basic Netflix, universal basic tablets to watch the Netflix on. Totally. good to me. Universal basic massage, I Mm, think, is just part of a well-rounded society. Sure, yeah, I was just thinking universal basic yoga classes. Universal basic access to recreation facilities. Universal basic skills training. Any skill that you want to train in, you should universally be able to be trained in that skill because obviously more people who have more skills really benefit everyone in society. So that would be kind of an acceleration to a much better society very quickly with that universal basic program. Yeah, there's a lot of things that I could see a strong argument for making the universal basic program of it. I mean, first starting with what's absolutely needed and then moving on to what would be nice, which is pretty much everything. Like universal basic sofas. <laughs> Looks around room trying to think of next. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what else should be universal and basic? Universal basic podcast co-hosts. <laughs> Fine, I'll look out the window. Universal basic bricks. Universal basic sky. Yeah, that's true. Well, because now you don't really have that because in some places, like you can't see the stars at night because there's so much light pollution. They don't get the same sky mm-hmm. as people who don't have as much light pollution. That's not even touching universal basic space flight. Oh, universal. When we get to universal basic space flight, hop on a universal basic trip to the moon. Universal basic ending sketches in a timely fashion. <laughs> well, yeah, that is something that this podcast supports. 
and always, always, always tries to do to end sketches in a timely fashion on time, quickly, before the joke is played out for too long or it takes too long or you feel like, when is this going to end? That's not what we try to offer. Maybe we haven't always delivered, but we do try to offer that universal basic timely ends to sketches. So as we're wrapping up this sketch, it's just good to mention that in as wordy a way as possible. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's a few more universal basic things we want to cover before we actually end the sketch. Universal basic plane rides, universal basic cat petting, universal basic high fives. Oh, universal basic beachfront property. Because people always act like, oh, everyone can't have beachfront property. And it's like, well, you could. I mean, depending how you set it up. For a time share shares. of time. Yeah. Universal basic spending the summer in an underwater sea city. That's the type of guarantees coming up the pipes, folks. Oh, and of course, like the biggest kind of overarching things that would encapsulate all of these goals in various ways would be universal basic tubes and universal basic sorting for all of our tube and sorting needs. It's kind of obvious how that would bring about all those other things we mentioned but it is good to kind of zoom out at the end of the sketch and just yeah you, you can't build the utopia without mastering tubes and mastering sorting and that speaks for itself and the sketch is ended in a timely fashion now do you want to do an outro voiceover for the end of the sketch or that just let it <clears> hang <throat> with that no i think we can let it hang with that i don't think there's any need to do anything after that we could okay leave okay. it at that we'll go back to the show then just like right away back to the show and just like Right back in. Yeah, now. <laughs> so I think there's different versions of basic income. You can take basic income in a really good direction or you can take it in a bad direction. So I've got a critique of Andrew Yang, not just in his basic income policy, but his overall proposal and his overall vision. I like the basic income part, broadly speaking. The specifics of his basic income implementation, I really don't like. Part of the way that he argues for paying for basic income is that basic income is going to replace other services. So if you're already receiving welfare or food stamps or something like that, basic income will either top up the difference to $1,000 or you can trade whatever you have in for a $1,000 basic income check. That's part of the way that he'll justify how we're going to pay for it and how we're going to make up the money. It's also part of sort of the argument of Andrew Yang that we're going to have $1,000 a month to everyone, including the richest people in society, because it's universal. We don't want the bureaucracy. We don't want to have this admissions process where we're excluding people. Just the billionaires are going to make up for it because they're going to be paying more value-added taxes, which is our source of revenue here. Also and capital gains taxes and financial speculation taxes. And he wants to heavily regulate financial markets and tax capital gains. It's part of his human-centered capitalism mm -hmm. to yeah. you know, save capitalism from itself with good regulation. Is the, yeah. Uh, yeah, social democracy. That's his name for social democracy is human-centered capitalism. But that's not how Grandpa talks about social democracy. <laughs> no, it's not. Not at all. Grandpa Very different rhetorical strategies. But yeah, sorry, not to lose the point that you were just on. There is this kind of weird tension where he's saying it's universal, so everyone gets it. If you make a million dollars a year, you still get 1K every month. But if you're on food stamps and you're currently getting $500 worth of food stamps, you don't get 1K. You might get a top up to 1K, so you might only get 500 extra dollars. So under this program, they're willing to implement enough bureaucracy to make sure that poor people have to choose between benefits and getting the 1K, but they don't want to make room for the bureaucracy that would prevent millionaires and billionaires from getting 
the 1K thing. Yeah, and I had already been looking for reasons to not like Andrew Yang when <laughs> I pieced this together. But holy fucking shit, man. He's talking about a universal basic income where, oh, it's too much bureaucracy to keep Jeff Bezos from getting it. But to let someone keep their food stamps and then also give it to them, we need to put a bureaucracy to prevent that from happening. Just a little bureaucracy against the poor. Yeah, I mean, we it wouldn't is want like... a big bureaucracy against billionaires, against people who earn more than $100,000. Like, there's no argument for basic income and beyond $100,000 a year. I, Jesus Christ. And maybe if you're supporting a family of four, something like that, but generally, I agree with you. Yeah, I'm trying <laughs> to think, what's the, what even is the defense there? Oh yeah, the idea is, okay, those people on food stamps do get the 1K. It is universal if they're willing to give up food stamps because they're not going to lose anything. They're either going to get more money or if their benefits are more than 1K a month, they can just keep the current benefits that they have. So nobody's going to lose anything. That's the counter argument but it still doesn't really at least not for me it doesn't explain why we're making those people choose and it's blanket for everybody else see i've argued with dozens of yang heads and they just ignore that one they'll focus on i've got other arguments i make as well yeah my (laughs) sense is generally they're like okay that's not great but again nobody's gonna lose anything if you're deep in defending yang you're not gonna want to like admit this point but i think generally though if you spoke with someone face to face they'd be like yeah that's not great that's not my favorite part Mm-hmm. But but this will still help many people. It'll yeah, still like come, millions and millions of people. A lot of people will get a benefit from it. It'll make a big difference in a lot of people's lives. Yeah. And I can pinch my nose and accept that Jeff Bezos gets it because even though we're gonna give thirty nine billion dollars in subsidy to the one percent directly under Yang's plan. <laughs> Which it would be dishonest to mention that without also, of course, mentioning the capital gains taxes and the financial speculation taxes. And that amount of money is more than offset by all the taxes they'll be paying. So Mm -hmm. it's important to note that every single time you bring that point up, otherwise it'd be dishonest. Yeah, yeah, it it would be. And I think I agree. And it would be further dishonest to not then on top of that mention that although it's technically true that the rich will be paying more under this system through these various taxes, these taxes are actually already ethical in themselves without the need to pay out $12,000 a year to Jeff Bezos, Mm. should be fought for anyways, regardless of the basic income. And if you choose to not give that $39 billion to the top 1%, you could spend it on, for example, giving more money to the people who actually literally need it because $1,000 isn't enough to live on in many places. And especially in the context where you're arguing that for budget reasons, you have to scrape back people's fucking food stamps. But the rich, we can't have a bureaucratic body that's going to gum up the works, keeping literal billionaires from getting free money. As this argument online has developed over the course of the past few days, you stumbled on the billionaire thing first and like how they'll end up getting $1,000. I was like, yeah, that's a good point. Like we we could cut them out. That would be good. But it doesn't really bother me that they do get it because it's being offset and whatever. And it is, it's kind of almost like a sassy thing to be like, oh no, it's universe. You get it too, billionaires. Like <laughs> you're taking like all these like thousand dollar bills out of their one pocket and then just like putting a dollar bill in the other one and being like, see, it's equal. You get it too. And there's something like kind of spit in the face funny about that. But <laughs> when you combine it with the fact that you're making people who are on benefits choose between those benefits and getting the 1k it is it is a pretty powerful image of like here's your thousand dollars jeff bezos oh person in social housing and food stamps who yeah you can switch it out for 1k if you want (laughs) like no (laughs) 
oh, I've got my, I've got $750 between my welfare and my food stamps. Oh, there's an anti-poverty crusader coming to office. He gave me $250 and gave the richest man in history a thousand. You know, we should really listen to you Silicon Valley tech guys more. You, yeah. I mean, and like, of course, overall, his plan would put trillions in the pockets of the bottom 99% and is a massive wealth redistribution thing. But it's just, yeah, the optics of this particular thing and just objectively making people choose between benefits and uh, is not good. It's reiterating and repeating the humiliation of the welfare system that's critiqued in the concept of basic income itself, that the poor have to prove themselves these bodies, and then you're going to create a new parallel body, make them submit to a process again in the name of not submitting them to the process. It's completely absurd. Yeah, I feel like it's his right-wing capitalist sensibilities there with this like... We're getting rid of the bureaucracy of these other programs. But there's different things that you might call bureaucracy, and some of them are good and some of them are bad. Like you could say bureaucracy, the staff that are administering programs, that bureaucracy is always going to have to exist. Then there's also the bureaucracy of like doing paperwork. And it's like, okay, well, you still need to make sure that the people you're giving basic income checks to or welfare checks or whatever actually exist. So you can't just like send a bunch of basic income checks out based on like what could be like stale records. You have to touch base with people in some way you could make it sort of hands-off but ultimately there needs to be some administration of it like i've worked on the front lines a couple times interacting with people here and so our our system with social assistance and disability in bc is a lot more progressive than i think a lot of places in the u.s like there's more benefits here but we've got low benefits for canada for people in these situations so i've interacted with a lot of people and tried to help them to access services. So you know what it's like to deal with the red tape and the bureaucracy and this bullcrap that Yang advocates are like, we get rid of all that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can tell you from my experience here in British Columbia is that the problem isn't that you have to apply. The problem is that the conditions that fit application are too small. And if you make the mm. applications that fit the condition much bigger, it'll work like clockwork. You know, it'll really just like you fill out the form, you get the money, it's easy. Today's episode of Seriously Wrong is proudly brought to you by $1,000. Here, just for you. You can you can have it. For me? $1,000? Here you go. Cool. Thank you. Why? Why are you giving this to oh, me? Oh, it's called basic income. It's when I give you $1,000. Just this one time? You're just giving me $1,000? Oh, no, 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 no. I'll be back in one month to give you $1,000. Really? Again. So yes. a second $1,000. No, please. no. Over and over again. Once a month. Heretofore. Once a month. Heretofore? Really? For real? Absolutely. Oh it's my called God. basic income. Do you support Holy that? Holy crap. Yeah. I mean, it's $1,000 in my hand. Like when you first handed me this, I was like, oh, my dog needs a surgery and it's cost $1,000. I thought I was going to have to let him die. Nope. Now I can save his life. Your dog can live. And then when you said, I'm going to get a second $1,000 in a month, I thought, I can finally go on that vacation I've always wanted to go on that I was always $1,000 short for. That's a $1,000 shaped hole that the basic income can fill. And then when you said every month heretofore, it was just kind of like, whoa, it's like, I don't even know where to go with that. I've always just been scraping by, and now this is going to allow me to 
get some kind of positive traction. Totally. Going from not having it to having it is definitely going to be a big step forward to you. But after that, you're going to get used to having it, and you're going to spend it way faster than you think, and you're going to take it for granted. That's what you think. I'll never take this for granted. I'm going to be just as grateful every single month. Mm -hmm. It'll be like the first time every time, and I'll be so excited. I'll never adjust to the new amount. It'll always be like extra on top. After a certain period of time, as the cost of living gets higher and higher, inevitably, not just because of the basic income, but just inevitably, and basic income doesn't rise, it's going to become something that's a smaller and smaller impact for you as someone in middle to lower income. But to the people who are living on it, it's going to become unbearably low to live on. There's going to have to be prolonged fights to re-up, raise basic income. We want basic income $1,500. We want basic income $2,000. Obviously, with the rate of inflation, these cries will come far too late. That's a great point. But it did also just remind me how poorly all those people might be doing if they didn't have any basic income. It's like my rent goes up whether or not I get a basic income. The rent still goes up. So still overall much better. It is totally possible that the way that it's structured creates an unpredictable economic effect that distorts our society in a way that causes pain to people in a really real way. I don't think it's inevitable there'll be like mass inflation or something like that, but I, I don't feel qualified to completely assure everyone that that would never happen. Don't worry about it. Let's just go for it. I wouldn't completely assure anyone about any positive change in society, like introducing a housing first policy, for example, giving everybody a home. There might be unintended consequences. It's always good arguments to me. And usually it's conservatives making those arguments. But to me, it doesn't seem like a reason not to do something. It just seems like a reason to be careful about how you're implementing it and do it right. I think all of these challenges are not insurmountable whatsoever. Uh, and it's important to be fair-minded in dealing with these things. So here's your thousand bucks. And I'll see you in, what is it? Oh, just 30 days this time. So I'll see you soon. Wow, I am so excited. I'm going to go save my dog's life. Thanks again. Don't take it for granted. I won't. One thousand fucking dollars just for you. Proud sponsor of today's Seriously Wrong. And now we go to two people having an argument. Look, the reason I want to give everyone $1,000 a month is because I am a democratic socialist. That's I think so that society should... makes no sense. I want to give everyone $1,000 a month because I am a human-centered capitalist. That's what makes sense. Capitalism is the worst thing in human history. It, it's Why would okay. you want to identify with the evil empire? Bit ironic from somebody who's identifying with the literal worst thing in history, killed millions or maybe even billions at this point. Socialism. Hey, hey, I'm a democratic socialist okay I'm not the state capitalist communist history stuff that's not me okay I'm not gonna take well, your all smears. the while you're just like ignoring the fact that my capitalism is human-centered the most income inequality in all of history the most wealth inequality of all of history that's not human-centered the only center that humans are going to under human-centered capitalism is the center of a jail the private prisons in capitalist America, they're the biggest in the world. They hold such a high percentage of the population in prison doing labor against their will and often for nonviolent crimes. Okay, so you're telling me that you expect a calm, cool, rational, intellectual, human-centered capitalist like myself to trust that a bunch of quote-unquote democratic socialists, socialists, are going to know 
how to move to a better society? I don't think so. Human-centered capitalism is new, it's fresh, it's exciting. Socialism is old, it's stale, it stinks of death. I'm not going to trust someone who's like, oh, I'm a human-centered capitalist. Capitalist, you know, the greatest system of oppression in human history. Yeah, I'm going to trust someone who identifies with that. Yeah, let's do Medicare for all together. No thanks. If we don't get a human center to our capitalism as quickly as possible, the climate is going to annihilate all of us. We don't have time for more failed socialist experiments. Look, we've already tried to deal with climate change with capitalism. You know, they thought it was human centered too. The only way that we can deal with the catastrophic climate crisis around the corner is by heavy state public investment planning putting people to work on a massive scale. The thing that's been effective at putting people to work and getting things done, achieving things in the real world has always been capitalism. All socialists think that they're quote unquote democratic, but they're not. They reveal their hidden authoritarianism every time. What's more authoritarian than the capitalists withholding the life-saving medicine from the little girl? That's the old capitalism. I'm saying human-centered capitalism. That little girl's at the center. I'm just saying that there should be a market society there should be police, there should be military, nation-state borders, a democratic apparatus, and a slow, reform-based transition to better taking care of people instead of just the rich people at the top. It's the stupidest thing that I've ever heard. What we need is to take our current society as it is now with police, markets, military, nation-state borders, and we need slow reforms that allow us to make our capitalism take care of everyone. Wait, is your human-centered capitalism democratic? Yes. Is your democratic socialism human-centered? Of course, yes. Does your capitalism involve state planning around public good? Yeah. Does your socialism include the buying and selling and trading of goods on, a, on an open market sometimes yes absolutely obviously like what i don't live in a fantasy world well i guess we're never going to agree yeah fuck you yeah you're hyper wrong and stupid shut up you're my enemy i'm gonna shut up but it's only because i imagine eventually you'll also shut up afterwards and i'm just praying for that so this is me out shutting up to get you to stop oh no i can't say anything yeah i'll just be quiet that'll show him i won't even say a thing <laughs> I thought he outsmarted me. He was like, you're going to say something, but then I didn't. So like, yeah, fuck him. And that was two people having an argument. That's what it's like. My main argument of why I wouldn't be upset if Yang won is I think about myself and I think about all the people I know, and none of the people I know are millionaires. Many of the people I know don't have enough money to get by comfortably, including myself a lot of the times. And I think about what a major impact getting a basic income of $1,000 a month would have on me, on my friends, on my loved ones, on the vast majority of the people in America who aren't making enough to get by or people who've been denied benefits that they need and are getting nothing currently. They would get the 1K. I agree there's some real problems with Yang's specific proposals even if they were implemented with all those problems, millions and millions of people would have better lives, like right away.
I think if there was another candidate putting forward a basic income proposal that didn't have that, a lot of the people who are really into Andrew Yang right now might like them better. Yeah, I think a, a proposal that they could pitch just off the top of my head is say like a thousand dollars. Top of your head, yeah, <laughs> I already knew. I've, I've seen you comment this proposal like multiple times. Yeah. I've been developing this proposal over a course of multi days of arguing with the Yang stands. Sweet people. Meanwhile, love them actually. Something like thirty thousand or less, you get the full basic income, and it rolls down proportionally based on your income up to like ninety thousand. It's not means tested at the point of application for it, but you do have the option for them to withhold based on what you expect your income to be. And at the end of the year, as part of your taxes through the IRS or whatever the income body is of the country, if you've taken more basic income then you're actually entitled to say you're a millionaire, then you have to return all or part of the basic income base where you are on the scale. So not only would this cut the cost of the basic income proposal 30, 40%, something like that, it would also mean that you could not roll back the benefits for people already who already have it because they need the money way more than Jeff Bezos and you need to have a meaningful anti-poverty element to this. Smooth as jelly. You call them up, you say, hey, I want the basic income. They're like, hey, what's your income going to be like this year? Do you mind sharing with me? And say, yeah, I think I'm going to get, I don't know, 70K if it's really good this year. So they'll be like, all right, we're going to send you a check for $110 a month instead of $1,000 a month because we're, then we won't have to claw it back. They're like, oh, thanks for that service. This has been a really smooth interaction. I got exactly what I wanted out of this. And they're like, I'm part of the bureaucracy. Do you approve of me or do you think that I'm a wasteful person who doesn't deserve a middle class job should i be cut should we get a computer just to handle this and like yes we should get a computer just to handle this your wasteful middle class profession is inflating the public service beyond what it needs to be you need to be fired at once all hail emperor yang (laughs) sorry that's just another beef i have with andrew yang is that he wants to fire one in five federal employees a 20 percent rollback on federal employees in the united states He wants to bring in a management consulting firm to look for inefficiencies in the U.S. government and fire 20% of the workforce based on the recommendations of this hack and slash fucking consulting firm. He listened to our bullshit jobs episode and was like, oh, they're right. There's so many bullshit jobs. Got to get rid of those jobs that drain people's souls and lives. Mm. And let's take all of these people who have families, who have stable jobs at middle income, maybe 60K a year, 70K a year, something like that. They got some benefits. They got a pension. They got families to support. And instead of giving them all that to administer something or be a middle person, or maybe in some cases slack off a lot and just like try to deke out enough space to keep on working until retirement, hmm. let's cut them off from that. Instead, give them $1,000 a month. It's more efficient that way. It's How, how would you feel about people working unimportant bullshitty jobs and corporations losing their job their pension and then having to go on basic income same thing just as bad you don't think corporations should fire useless people yeah yeah absolutely (laughs) of course (laughs) yeah i don't want people to who are sneaking by on the margins of these big companies (laughs) to be fired of course not I want them to keep doing their thing. Uh, oh, I, I want them to have meaningful, fulfilling work to do at their day and not have to like spend all day at this like soul-crushing yeah. husk of a job that doesn't fulfill them in any way. We should put them to work in some sort of new deal, green new deal. Let's put them to work <laughs> in a green new deal. Yeah, That's yeah, a good yeah. Idea. That, that is a good idea. 
now it's time for a two young boys with just one stern papa. Human-centered capitalism means licking Jeff Bezos' boots. I don't want any part of that. Oh yeah, democratic socialism, that's the way to go. Make everybody think about Venezuela and killing fields. Great idea. There's no that's killing just... fields in Venezuela. That's misinformation. Kids! Kids, I want to separate. He started it. Shut up. Now, shush the two of you. It's enough fighting, okay? I'm trying to make dinner over there. I'm a single dad. I'm cooking the meal for the three of us, for Christ's sake, and then you're yelling like this. Look, I'm going to tell you something, okay? A little secret. Everyone needs to admit that we're both, you're both, we're both, the three of us are all three both Capcoms. That is a combination between capitalism and communism. Everyone, everyone in the world. Milton Friedman, Capcom. Karl Marx, Capcom. You're a democratic socialist. You want to take care of people in the context of a market economy and a mixed public and private sector means of production? Great. Hey, you're a human-centered capitalist. You want to have a mix between private and public economy and a market and take care of people? Great. Everyone agrees with that. The state capitalist communist projects of history also did that. Even anarchist communes that withdraw from society in a limited regional space still participate in both capitalism and communism in different ways. Everyone, you're just Capcom. He's like, oh, I'm, I'm this ideology. Oh, really? Well, what do you think about the means of production for the foreseeable future? Oh, a mixed public and private. Oh, and a market economy, but also things to take care of people. Uh, welfare, interesting. Hey, has anyone around the world ever escaped that? No? Okay, we're all Capcoms. Okay, kids, stop fighting. Do you guys, I can't remember, do you like lots of garlic or just a little bit of garlic? Lots, lots of garlic! That's my boys, that's my spicy boys. Speaking of spicy boys, do you want hot sauce on the side or in it? On, on the, the side! side! Okay, that way you can pick your own amount. Just like everyone picks their own amount of Capcom and they can't escape it. Dinner will be ready in about 25 minutes, kids, so please stop fighting. Okay, Dad. Thank you, Dad. We need to have a really critical conversation about the different types of basic income and the different rationales that go into it. There's no difference between welfare and basic income in its goal and function and the purpose of it. The reason Martin Luther King supported a basic income is because some people need money. So you're fulfilling the role of basic income if you give the people who need money money, even if you withhold it from the people who don't need money. And that's the same with any sort of like universal system. Universal healthcare doesn't mean that you give everyone an identical heart surgery regardless of whether or not they need it. If you've got the Jeff Bezos of hearts, which is just this beautiful, you know, stallion of a heart that pumps blood so perfectly, You're never just gets calling Jeff Bezos a stallion, a beautiful stallion. Well, when it comes to fucking income, yeah, right. <laughs> I'm just being silly. He is a stallion of income, and I'll proudly say it. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean the idea that to make it universal, you have to give it to everyone is stupid because you just say it's universal that anyone who falls below. 60k a year gets this or whatever you know however it works phases in out it's, it's universal if everyone can access it if they need it if you're going to have socialized medicine in a country you've got a single market for medicine you know you don't have a private market competing with it it's not a little add-on that you make for poor people that's different universal medicine is different but there's a functional reason why you need to have one big it's like an insurance policy where the rich pay in and get benefit they pay in a higher proportion than the poor do and everyone gets a benefit in the end and there's a collective cost reduction that can come out of that but income is different because we're not talking about universalizing the income market to being the sole domain of government that all payments come from the government basic income is a tag on 
to the sort of free market capitalist economy that says no one's ever going to fall below this level and we help people up to this level to make sure that they have a basic standard of living. If I was going to compare it to healthcare, it'd be like everybody pays into the pot, just like with healthcare. And with healthcare, if you're sick, you get access to a doctor. With basic income, if you don't have enough income, you get basic income. And that's for everybody. If you don't have enough income, you get basic income. That's universal. Yeah. yeah. And I think also we have to, the Yang thing has just really convinced me. I got into the extremely online wormhole arguing mode where like you're not using your time on earth wisely to continue <laughs> engaging. But it just, it really clicks. And especially when you're arguing against what feels like an infinite wall of people and you're like Neo from the Matrix, like, ah, oh, got you, that argument's bad. Boom, bah. who doesn't love that? <laughs> it's completely normal online behavior. <laughs> but we need to actually uphold the value of welfare itself. I don't think we can destigmatize receiving welfare by giving welfare to billionaires. I don't think that is the right way. Like, oh, Jeff Bezos gets welfare. You shouldn't be too ashamed to take it, homeless guy. Because what's stigmatized isn't receiving government benefits. What's stigmatized is poverty. I mean, people do stigmatize receiving benefits. Like, I think if you had a poor person who does take benefits and a poor person who doesn't take benefits... Well, obviously, they're going to say, well, good on you for your bootstraps, but right. you're still sh yeah, no, there's, scum. There, I, I would, there's, <laughs> stigma, there's stigma for both. Yeah. And yeah. I, if you look at someone who gets a really great deal interacting with the government, you know, like gets more subsidy than they pay in taxes. Well, that's just entrepreneurial business skills, you know. It's perfectly okay for the rich to receive welfare in various kinds, various subsidies. So the subsidy itself isn't the problem. That's already destigmatized, I think. What's really stigmatized is benefits in the context of poverty, especially in this idea of being unworthy of receiving it. So just like if you set a high ceiling, 90,000 or whatever, you're going to get part of a basic income check. That's going to do all the work of destigmatizing it that you need beyond it, like actually destigmatizing it itself. Like, you're, you're, it, oh, you're saying I was confused for a second because I was like, why would that destigmatize it if the other thing wouldn't? But you're just saying it would give the same amount of destigmatization if you cap it at 90K or not. Yeah, yeah. Right, right, yeah, well, yeah, and, for sure. And also, I think it's a small amount of destigmatization because the real thing that we need to crack the nut of is poor bashing and people thinking that. People who are poor are subhuman or not worth attention or that you shouldn't look at them, you know. Oh, the poor bashing thing. Yeah, this is like, again, this is why I get so... Seeing these people in these groups who I know have good jobs and a lot of money who are just going around like acting like giving all low-income working people in America $1,000 a month wouldn't be a massive benefit to them. And it's like, I'm trying to make this point and be like, like <laughs> we have criticisms of Yang, sure, but like you, you will acknowledge, right, that this would actually like really help a lot of people. And then they're just like, oh, but it's a thousand dollars though. And I'm like, dude, you're fucking, don't mock people who are like really passionate about this because they've had bad experiences with the welfare system or like they know people everyone in their life who would really benefit from this and they're like hey like i'd like this right like this would be really good for all of us and they're like oh, but it's a thousand dollars that's what you sound like there's so many people on the left who are just not like oh yang's proposal is insufficient it has a lot of real problems that we'd want to address hopefully before passing it or after passing it it's very, very imperfect, but it's still obviously better than not having a basic income. So ultimately, 
I would support it if there wasn't a much better candidate available who I, of course, have to give preference to because it was a lifetime legacy and he's amazing. But <laughs> I understand the reasons to be like, meh, but I don't understand the reasons to be like, no, he's so bad. We could like, I don't want him to get in. I think well, part of it is that the polarization. Yeah. And people to the left of electoral politics in general, whatever critique that they have of like the Ocasio-Cortez, the Sanders people, Yang is like a parody of them. Like Yang is like, I'm a businessman. I'm leaving the private sector to run for president. I have no electoral experience. I've got no experience whatsoever. I'm going to bring in the largest social program of all time. <laughs> How am I going to pay for it? I'm going to pay for it by giving poor people less. <laughs> It's totally accurate. <laughs> There's a lens on it, but sometimes by obscuring certain details, you can have a better view of the truth. You know, maps always withhold information. If it had all the information of the territory it represented, then it would have to be as big as the territory it represented. So if you're going to boil down Yang to one thing, I'd say he's going to give $1,000 to Jeff Bezos and he's going to give $300 to someone who's on welfare. And he's against bureaucracy for the rich, but he's in favor of bureaucracy for the poor. That's my summary. I'm leaving out a lot of detail. Welcome back to the Seriously Capcom podcast. We are your hosts, the Capcom Boys. I'm Sean. My name is Aaron, and we exist in a world where everyone acknowledges that everything's Capcom all the time. The video game company Capcom doesn't exist because they wouldn't have chosen that name because Capcom is a common phrase in this world. There's a lot of assumptions that we have going about our day to day. And it's one of the ways that our show kind of breaks the fourth wall is by talking about those assumptions in a really frank and open way. Like for example, in this universe, people understand that communism is a really pure, specific thing. It's a system that has very rigid definitions and anything that deviates from that system at all is not communism. And the same thing can be said for capitalism. It's a very specific, rigid system, a free market, zero regulations, anything that deviates from that is not capitalism. And so yeah. neither capitalism or communism has ever existed. What has existed in history has all been Capcom. I'm more of a Capcom myself, as I put a lot more emphasis on the comm side, because, you know, it's an underdog story and in society right now, we're in a very Capcom sort of society. And I want to try to, at the very least, balance that out. But I'm also sympathetic to the idea we should push the comm, go for the full hog. And your dad, for example, is a Capcom equal emphasis on both syllables he's kind of right in the true center there absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. what well, is my friend thomas thomas is more of a cap yeah you know he's, he's, he's pretty he... conservative conservative means you're kind of on the trajectory towards more capitalism under capcom and then like a socialist might be someone on the trajectory to more towards calm under capcom but we're all capcoms and there's better or worse ways to move in either direction at any given time. This is the sort of common sense stuff we're taught in civics class about this political spectrum and where you fit on it. It's multi-dimensional. It's not just a two-dimensional thing. There's all sorts of weird variables there, but the spectrum itself is called Capcom and you can't escape it. And that's what our show's about. That's what we're here to celebrate. A really lively debate within a limited spectrum of ideas. Absolutely. Oh, damn. I guess we might even almost be out of time for our show and all we have to do was explain the assumptions of the world we live in but oh that's all right next week on the show we're gonna have bernie sanders and andrew yang in the house to come out and agree on a really a lot of things and now back to you not listening to a podcast 
uh, what were we saying before? I want to mention a few of Yang's other proposals. He has a lot of policies on his website. Haven't read them all, only a few. But I did want to mention a few that I either like or are interesting in various ways. One that I actually like quite a bit is he wants to make online voting a thing and voting with your smartphone a thing. Another thing that scares people, I think, because hacking and... Yeah, the security is always the concern that people bring up. In general, I do think that's where we need to move and that that's going to make more direct democratic possibilities a reality. And like I support movements to do that in general. Yeah, I think it's a great aspirational goal. It would be in my utopia, some variation on that. He has something called the American Mall Act. Like he really loves malls, I guess. And he's sad that they're all going away. And he just like wants to put money into turning them into like community centers, like with some shops and with other kinds of spaces. And it's super vague, but the it's sad that malls are closing and <laughs> want to do more. That's sort of interesting. Yeah. Better. Cause like the original idea about behind the first proposal of mall like malls have become this hyper capitalist reflection of the original idea of the mall which is more in line with that like having malls be like social spaces when malls were first proposed that was sort of like the idea but oh, over yeah. time they became more of a yeah selling every available piece of square foot to a store and then it's like there's nowhere to actually sit for free or do anything like it's yeah. not a community space, security yeah. guards to kick people out and yeah, stuff like yeah. that but if you think of a mall with like having a library and yes um, yeah <laughs> like half or more of the mall should be library like various kinds of libraries <laughs> so yeah actually I do, I do like i like that policy it's imaginative yeah and yeah. I'll, I'll uh i'll give yang a pass on that one here's another imaginative one he wants to take 10 percent of the military budget and redirect it away from military things and towards a new th section of the military that would be called the legion of builders and destroyers normal name <laughs> it's like you fucking video game shit he's really going for the gamer vote there and what the Legion of Builders and Destroyers would do is rebuild infrastructure in America. So his website mentions roads, bridges, power grids, sewage systems, levees, and dams, which I love 10% of the military budget going to rebuilding infrastructure rather than fighting and killing people. That's a lot of money that is being way better spent, even with the weird name. The law also mentions derelict buildings, and this is something that kind of comes up in a few of his laws, like mentioning of urban blight, suburban blight, and derelict buildings. So the criticism of Legion of Builders and Destroyers... Apart from the fact it sounds like a Nintendo DS game. Yeah. To me, kind of a plus. It's cool. It's interesting. But yeah, the idea that it would be a gentrification, like a federally funded military gentrification project and that like the t all this talk about roads and dams and sewage systems and power grids the real point is this urban blight thing and that he wants to gentrify all these areas make it more difficult for poor people to live in them it's a classic schrodinger's destroyer scenario <laughs> you know is it going to be a good destroyer or a bad destroyer i don't know roll the dice yeah, is this legion going to destroy bad things and build good things or is it going to like destroy necessary things and build overpriced things that people can't use and are we making it part of the military to take advantage of their organizational structure access to resources and people and also as a rhetorical device about the moving of the budget? Or is this literally going to be soldiers walking through my city destroying old buildings that they <laughs> deem to be not up to beauty standards? Yeah, well, yeah. And that's the other thing is it said, he said that this force, this legion, would have the ability to override state and municipal 
regulations and zoning restrictions and stuff. So basically, they could just do whatever they want, regardless of what local governments say. I don't know, he wants to cut through red tape or something, I guess, is probably the idea behind that. But it that just sounds scary. I'm <laughs> sorry. I want to love it, but I can't fully love it. Lowercase, I'll love on that, Legion. Something I do... <laughs> fully, fully love him for, and this is uh, the last policy that I'll mention, is he recently came out as an intactivist. At least he said the intactivists are right. (laughs) And that he thinks doctors in America should be required to tell patients that it's not medically necessary and that there's costs and benefits to both options, which is a very reasonable policy. It's a great policy. A lot of people in America don't actually know that. Like you hear stories about doctors just assuming that it has to happen or like it, they make money on it. So they kind of push it on people and that a lot of people in America don't actually know that it has costs as well as potential benefits. It's also a hilarious position to take and he's going to debate Ben Shapiro about it. Coming up. I mean, I think the policy is rational and, and ethical. And the way that it's being used to get media attention has now been parlayed into a debate with Ben Shapiro. <laughs> it's really, really brilliant outsider strategy marketing. So I hand it to the Yang team for this one. Yeah. The policy is fine. And like, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not passionate about that's not what I would push for first. I don't think it's what Yang would push for first, but as a way to get a wedge issue in the media cycle and attention, it involves penises. So that's gets a lot of eyes <laughs> immediately. Like which presidential yeah. candidate has a new policy on penises? I will tune into that debate. I mean, like for me, hopefully this pushes more presidential candidates to come out with their position, pro or anti-circumcision. It's it's a funny thing, but it's also like something that I legitimately think is a real issue that matters. And like nobody talks about it because it's kind of weird and silly. Anyway, so that's some of Yang's other policies. He has a ton of policies, but I'm going to go through all of them, obviously. And that's just one of four baby penis related policies so you're gonna have to read the whole yang platform to find out his other three stances on the penises of babies we now go to the year 2021 where president andrew yang has just been sworn in and is returned to the oval office to draft his first piece of legislation heck this is a beautiful office i'm just kick my shoes off put my feet up on the desk made it President Yang, do you have a moment? Joe Rogan, my chief of staff, please come in. I'm a CEO. I know it's time to get down to work. Absolutely, President Yang. Should we begin the implementation of the Universal Basic Income Program? There's something else to do first. We need a kind of immediate, easy win, something I can just do by fiat. I want to kick off a new era in American politics, and I want to start with a festival in downtown Washington, D.C., the Festival of the Intact Member. All right. What does that refer? How does that go about? I want to celebrate intact whole penises. One of the things we could do is kind of a competition. People with just fabulous foreskins could submit their foreskins for evaluation by me, Andrew Yang. The best foreskin will win the annual Andrew Yang Award for Excellence in Intact Foreskins. It's just kind of a celebration. I'm just picturing this being the centerpiece of the year from now on in American politics. You don't have a foreskin, do you? From what I understand, you're... Sorry, it's a personal question. I was just thinking whether you wanted to enter, but I'm probably getting ahead of myself here. Sir, I'm going to be frank. 
I feel like I've just stepped into the private sector because that is so innovative cutting edge stuff you know yeah. like the true brilliance of one mind one singular vision for america i'm furiously scribbling notes here because i want to implement every detail of this plan good i'm glad you like it because i have a lot more but i was kind of nervous to get it all out right away in case you thought it was weird like the whole inauguration when my hand was on the bible and swearing in and stuff is just foreskins in my brain so the way i kind of see this going down is uh we get everyone in washington dc to wake up at 5 30 in the morning and kind of like parade down the street foreskins aloft paper mache foreskins like foreskin shaped popsicles and just <laughs> <laughs> It's so bad. It's just, it's just not even shaped like a penis. It's just like, what are you going to force in popping? A delicious treat for the whole family. And we will have the people and the members of Congress, the members of the Senate, lead a procession to the White House. On the front lawn of the White House, we'll have erected a giant papier-mâché foreskin as kind of a stage and there will be choirs there they'll be singing secular intactivist hymns and at kind of the crucial moment of the ceremony the foreskin will pull down to reveal the glands underneath and i'll be standing there at the top of the mountain ready to give a speech then the show can begin the judging can begin and it'll just be a festival like nothing this country has ever seen before President Yang, that's a once-in-a-lifetime idea. This working your administration is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I'd like to request permission to call all of our policy guys, get them off of Medicare for All, get them off of basic income, get them off of the Green New Deal, get them off of the Legion of Builders and Destroyers, get them off online voting, get them off the Mall Act, and get them all on the yearly Washington, D.C. foreskin festival as you've outlined it and awards competition yeah and we'll get to all that stuff as soon as possible but priorities right you got to have priorities as a president that's one thing i've learned so far i have more ideas too like we i want to maybe change the week to a 10-day week where the final day of the week is a celebration of foreskin or maybe a celebration of the uh hatred of traders who've removed people's foreskins and uh, that's that's extra stuff we'll get into that maybe down the line. And so, President Yang went on to an eight-year term, which wrote over 7,000 laws involving foreskin. And even now, in the year 4,000, the Yang Center for Excellence in Foreskins is the ruling body of Earth. The end. Today's episode brought to you by a last-minute addition to the show. So sometimes doing the show and I'm like, damn, should have said things, should have said three things, should have said three more of Andrew Yang's policies, for example, a good policy, a bad policy, and an ambiguous policy. The good policy is that he thinks there's too much focus on GDP, instead measuring the well-being of the country through more direct measures like quality of life, health-adjusted life expectancy, mental health, underemployment, income inequality, social mobility, student debt, volunteerism, infant mortality, quality of infrastructure, access to education, substance abuse, national optimism, just a lot of good things that are more important than how much buying and selling is going on in the economy. I think it's a great policy. 
Second, I'll do the ambiguous policy, which is he has a time banking proposal based on an app where you would get points for positive social civic engagement. Stuff like he mentions volunteering to help at-risk youth. Kind of like, aw shucks, can't we incentivize being nicer to each other like if you help a little old lady across the street help your friend fix their appliance you should get points for that and then the community can decide different ways people can cash in those points like going to a ball game or meeting the mayor (laughs) or other kind of like hokey fun stuff like that the reason it's ambiguous however is that If you think that Yang's policies are a Trojan horse for a kind of invasive, authoritarian, Silicon Valley control state, as some people would say that certain elements of his policy indicate that might be what he's after, then this starts to look like the first steps to something much more sinister where your point score on this social quote-unquote time banking app like how many points you have would be kind of like your social credit score like in china and you could have things taken away from you for not doing the quote-unquote good things decided by whoever's running this app obviously none of the evil stuff is in the policy itself but some people think that's where yang's going so the policy i guess is ambiguous the policy that is unambiguously bad is actually his immigration policy it's very strange he wants to provide a path to citizenship which you know fair enough that's good for undocumented people in the united states right now but he says it should take 18 years because that's how long it takes other American citizens to get their full citizenship rights. Like you're born a baby, takes 18 years to become a full adult. It's a weird way to make that argument. And 18 years is way too long. And he even calls it a tiered permanent residency system on his website, which calls uh, to mind this kind of like underclass of imported workers who don't have full rights and just have some rights. And yeah, they don't have any rights now as undocumented workers, but this is not the right kind of system to bring them in. 18 years is too long, and it's a bad policy. It's a bad immigration policy. So those are three more of Yang's policies, one good, one ambiguous, one bad, and that was a last-minute addition to the show. Now we go back to the conversation between Sean and Aaron happening previously. I I think the other reason this bothers me is like I've slotted it into this same thing that very online leftists do that bothers me all the time, which is only shitting on good social democratic candidates instead of talking about why they're good social democratic candidates. People do that with Ocasio-Cortez. They do that with Bernie. They do that with anyone you can think of who is not perfect and is in politics as a leftist, which is everyone who's in politics as a leftist, none of them are perfect, uh, especially since there's, you know, dozens of different standards of perfection that they're being measured against by different people. Nobody's ever good enough and we shouldn't support anybody. This ambiance of hopelessness and it's all bad and terrible. And I'm like, well, it's actually like Ocasio-Cortez is cool. And like, Again, Andrew Yang, not my first pick, but it's pretty fucking cool. And I like a lot of things in his platform, actually. Yeah, and although I'm caucusing 
with my dear anti-Yang radical friends, like my position is not the right choice for the Democratic nominee, and this particular model of basic income needs to be heavily revised. Some of the people I'm caucusing with, their position is that he is a dystopian technocrat, secret plutocrat destroyer man. Yes, yeah, throwing out coming like, to kill. Look for like, one thousand dollars here, like distracting the masses while in the background he's here to implement his secret doom platform that we. <laughs> project into there whatever we want really it's fine yeah and i think there's a sliver of truth to that when you're talking about firing 550,000 federal workers based on the recommendations of a management company that you bring in and if people are like oh a thousand dollars and then they don't think about how are all these policies going to work which are the easiest ones to pass which are the ones that he's going to find the most support with with mainstream parties you know like yeah. th- those types of questions i think are important so there's some truth to that but like i hear what you're saying as far as the hyper criticism that's like disproportionate to their their actual yeah. so, and it's part of a bigger trend of creating an air of hopelessness when we could take and should take yang as like a springboard of a type of hopefulness you know and as a like the discourse has shifted to the point where he's on the table he's being talked about there's articles about him and like if i see an article about him in a newspaper like i shouldn't be like oh he's coming for bernie it's more complex than that it's like oh discourse is evolving and like more ideas are around and and it's like i usually agree with people's specific criticisms like you know bernie should have done x thing or like the substance of what's being said in these criticisms usually i'll agree with but i just want to get all tone policey and be like but like you're framing this as if it's devastating the worst thing in the world because like the the fallback position is always like oh you don't think we should criticize social democratic candidates we should just take whatever and not push them on things it's like no no we should definitely push them on things but like at the same time as acknowledging that they're good especially good politicians who are like proposing taking money from everyone, but especially from rich people and giving it to everyone. But he's not the best candidate in the race, even though not electing him is going to hurt a lot of people who would be helped by his program. Like if Bernie wins and implements his whole thing versus Yang wins and implements his whole thing, the immediate benefit to a lot of working class people would be better with Yang. I still think the trajectory Bernie would put us on would be better. And I think Bernie's malleable to potentially doing a basic income, potentially doing it better. I mean, Bernie's part of a movement and Bernie's part of a larger thing that's happening here. Please, what's your your (sighs) nitpick? I need to pick at this nit because... This is important. Something you said is so wrong. It's important that I really keyboard warrior out It's not wrong. If Yang's full agenda was implemented immediately versus Sanders' full agenda immediately, in this hypothetical scenario, which is already not possible in reality for various reasons. Yeah. Congress exists. (laughs) Passing laws isn't something presidents can just do. do, Yeah. It's like, here's four trillion. Uh, (laughs) Day one. January 2021. Here's your check. We didn't have to pass any laws. (laughs) Look for your check in the mail because I won the general. (laughs) So that's not how it works. But there's also looking at the entirety of the whole agenda on both, not going to happen on either side. I don't think you can just be like, oh, this one would be better for, for people. There's, there's so many weird things in this platform that we don't know how they'd shape out when it comes to 
injecting that much money into the economy all at once. Like, I'm not a big, like, raising the minimum wage is going to cause prices to go up. Prices to go up guy. Mm. I think that's a misleading picture of it. But generally, with minimum wage increases, you go like a dollar or two at a time. Basic income at $1,000 a month would be like giving every minimum wage worker a raise of six twenty-five at once and also extending that raise to everyone at every wage across the entire economy and giving that much money also to everyone who's not working. So that's a much, much bigger increase of money all at once, like influx yeah. of money. So we don't, we don't really know what it would look like to fully implement. For sure. And I think I did say this, but like immediately it would be better. Like inflation is not going to happen in one second. It's January so 2021. Funny. Bernie's in. You get free college. Medicare for all is implemented. Green New Deal's happening. There's lots of new jobs, lots of things. Or Andrew Yang, Medicare for all is implemented. College isn't free, but you're all getting 1K a month. That's such a mealy mouth. Kind of, uh, I was trying to be uh, as detailed as I could. I just don't know enough no, but, details. Uh, but Sorry, just to, to be like... Not in the long term, like, say, three months, but immediately. Well, I mean, three months. I'm not even convinced that it would be a huge problem for inflation. I know Yang has a lot of arguments about why it wouldn't be. I think if you mix that amount of predictable influx of money in the economy with a 10% increase in the cost of consumer goods through a value-added tax, that it's hard to argue that there wouldn't be some sort of inflationary effect. Some for sure. Yeah. So, And I'm sensitive to the idea that this stuff sort of dovetails with what can be seen as like conservative arguments. But I also don't think that arguments that are typically used by conservatives that inherently means they're not true or could never apply or something like that. Yeah. And like, I think realism and pragmatism are important, especially when you're interacting with actually existing power structures. Yeah. The thing I called a conservative argument when we were off mic is the idea that the VAT, his 10% VAT is going to increase consumer prices by 10%. That would be a very bad thing because it reduces people's purchasing power. And the 1K a month is going to be eaten up by all these rising costs and inflation. Like the VAT is a tax on corporations that gets levied at various stages in the production process. And generally, I think taxes on corporations are good. And I don't usually hear leftists arguing that we shouldn't tax corporations because it's going to raise prices. That's what capitalists argue and conservatives argue. It gets used as this reason to then not raise taxes on corporations. But I think we should raise taxes on corporations. Yeah, a 10% tax on all produce goods, which is what a VAT is, and the way that it's structured is actually pretty sweet, I think, for like picking up revenue from multiple steps of the production process. And yeah, the, like the factory that makes things would pay a tax, the people who are transporting it would pay, like anyone who's adding any value, quote unquote, value added tax. So everyone in the production process is paying part of this tax. Yeah, 10% on their chunk of the value, which then the next person increases the overall sale price for the next thing. Yeah. So then it moves up to 10% of that that needs to be paid. Right, right, and it's, right. a, it's a good, like structurally, I don't have a problem with VAT and I think it could be used effectively. But the reason that I bring that up is because you encounter this argument. And so I've got this class-centered argument about the Bezos thousand and using Bezos as a synecdoche of all these people who earn over $100,000 a year already, which you'd be paying around a trillion dollars to under the... These are just the section of the population that make easily enough money that they don't need. Yeah. yeah. So from my... And these are calculations based on census data. It's imperfect. But from what I was able to figure out, 
the program would give $39 billion to the top 1%, mm-hmm. and it would give a trillion dollars, maybe a little less, to people who earn more than $100,000 a year. Yeah, the one I kept using was that it would give $3.8 trillion to the body in 99% which is a very effective uh, stat as well. And so the reason that I focused on the VAT thing, at least in my arguments, or the reason that I think it's relevant to talk about, because I do think a 10% tax on everything will increase the prices of things, maybe not fully 10% if it's replacing Mm. other different taxes or something like that. But there's going to be a non-zero effect on... Yeah, like with any tax on corporations, prices are going to go up. Yeah, to some degree. And unless you have other structural things designed to do price controls and prevent that and limit profits, etc., make sure that tax evasion isn't easy. And if we're saying, oh, well, Bezos technically gets $1,000 a month, but he gets taxed more than $1,000 a month, so it's a wash. He's not actually getting the $1,000. So don't even worry about that. Yeah. Then we have to also look at everyone across the entire system. Are they really getting the $1,000? Are they actually getting $1,000 worth of spending power? And if there's an argument that they aren't or that they could potentially not, that's probably worth some study and discussion and, and hesitance to implement a multi-trillion dollar program that would affect the entire U.S. economy in ways that are... I think, at least partially unpredictable, because you're talking about a 10% VAT across all products, which if you have a just a perfect 10% inflation there, it's like $911 of spending power left in the pockets of the people who are getting the basic income. But also, I think it's something like, if you give everyone in the US $1,000 a month, the amount of spending power in the economy each month would go up by a factor of three. So like, quadruple the amount of money being spent every month across the country. Mm. Do I think that will inherently cause inflation? I I don't know, but I think some people would say that it would. And it's something that makes me (laughs) hesitant to be like, oh, yeah, it's just simple, you know, just put a bunch more money out there. Yeah, yeah. To me, it's again, I don't focusing in on the taxing corporations because you could even then make arguments like we shouldn't close corporate tax loopholes because that will raise prices for consumers. You know, anything that's going to cost corporations money is going to raise prices for consumers. But the untested massive program thing is a more compelling argument to me and that you would want to like start with something, you know, just like throwing it out there, start with something like, we're going to give everybody, regardless of whether you get other benefits, regardless of anything, just as a test, we're giving everyone in the country $200 a month, you know, like one fifth of what he's proposed, just something like much smaller to see, like what happens? Like, is there a bunch of inflation? Is there not like the idea of just doing that right away? It worries me as well. And I do believe Bernie would be much more capable of being a good president, as I already said multiple times. Good. <laughs> I keep on holding up a little sign that says, say it again. And, uh... <laughs> we now go to the year 2042. America has fallen into a techno-feudalist dystopia. The legion of builders and destroyers have ransacked every major city CEO of America for Life, Andrew Yang, has imposed harsh austerity on everything except for basic income checks, as the last of American jobs have been automated, meaning that all people across America have no health care, no access to education, and insufficient basic income bucks to live. So what are you spending your... They just raised it, so now it's 13k a month. What are you spending your 13k a month on this month? Well, I'm a one-eighth holder in a rental bed program. 
So I get to sleep from 7 a.m. to about 12.31 when the guy who's going to take over the bed comes and kicks me out. Right. Um, and obviously, it's a queen-size bed, and I do have to share it to have a place to sleep at night. I can usually make the rest last on food for 24, 25 days. And then after that, it's just fasting time, and I just try to right. treat it as a medicinal fast. I find if I nibble, I can usually make my food last 28 days. So that's good for February. I'm trying to work out a deal to save some money by sleeping at the foot of a queen size bed that some other people are doing. Just kind of like nestle in at their feet. It's, you know, it's not allowed. I might be able to buy some clothes if I can pull that off. Other than that, yeah. I was going to say, it is weird yeah. for you to be nude, but no judgment. So, well, the Legion of Builders and Destroyers destroyed all my clothes. Do you notice that? They seem to be destroying a lot and not building a yeah, lot. Yeah, more like the Legion of Destroyers. Yeah. I mean, where's the building? Yeah, Come where's, on. where's the building? I mean, they built the opulent palace, of course, downtown, but, you know, we can't afford to get in there. It is a beautiful opulent palace, though. I do like to gaze upon its splendor from the quarter-mile radius around it from which we're not allowed to approach. Well, and a friend of mine, he was saving up, you know, a little bit of basic income every month, fasting a few extra days, sleeping on the street a few nights, you know, regular choices yeah, sure. people make all the time. Standard uh, scrimping and saving policy. Yeah. And he actually got damn close to the entry fee for the oh, palace. Yeah. Uh, but they actually arrested him and executed him when he got that close. I guess the generation away from having our own income earning potential has really hardened the the class ceiling, you know? the the. Yeah, if you hear the uppers talk as they glide past in their speed cars. They've got some weird theories circulating about how the basics are uh, kind of a different species and the, you know, weird eugenics arguments that the uppers make in their domed pleasure world. You know, I, if I'm being honest, I resent the uppers with their gold-plated pleasure reality. You know? Oh, me too, yeah. I spend probably half my time imagining the lives they lead and sort of wistfully wishing I was one of them. And then I spent the other half of my time trying to contain or vent or just do something with all the murderous rage I feel because it's, uh, it's not easy to deal with that much murderous rage. But we have to. You see what happens when, you, when the last time I tried an uprising. The big lesson of the last uprising? Try to contain your murderous rage. Yeah, don't uprise. It's not worth it. Content yourself with fantasies of one day joining the uppers. <laughs> Suddenly, there's a disruption in time. In the year 2019, candidate for president, Andrew Yang, is doing a campaign event when someone in the audience in the front row shouts, Google Murray Bookchin! Andrew Yang loses his train of thought. He regains himself in a second, but in that moment, he's captured. Who is Murray Bookchin? Why should I Google him? And so begins the most feverish weeks of research on the Yang campaign, where he discovers not just Murray Bookchin, but a constellation of thinkers, related and unrelated. Buckminster Fuller, Ursula Le Guin, Cernicek and Williams Inventing the Future, the Seriously Wrong podcast. And he gets a subscription to Jacobin Magazine. And he gets a subscription to Current Affairs Magazine. We now return to the year 2042. A different timeline indeed. 
Just got my 5K basic income check. Nice. Ooh. Cool, man. Good to see you. Oh, man. Uh, oh, man. I can't wait to spend one-fifth of this on my rent-controlled apartment and then boom, whatever with the rest. Options are limitless, really. I mean, not limitless. It's 4K, but <laughs> I got 4K. Uh, I, I got the same thing last month. But I feel like I'm talking a lot. Don't you have anything to say? Oh, yeah. I just got off work. I'm really, really tired. We need to shorten the hour and 15-minute workday. It's killing me, man. Round it out to one hour. What's with that extra 15 minutes? Yeah, what happened to the revolutionary sort of spirit that Andrew Yang had when he said we should shorten the workday? You know, like, we just gave up on that. Oh, an hour and 15 is inherently natural. Yeah, let's keep an hour and 15 forever. No, we have to fight against new horizons. That's the whole point of automation. It's to distribute the benefits of automation to everyone. Not just the narrow capitalist class, everyone. And that's what Yang taught us. Everyone is common Yang sense. Oh, it's 5.30. We've got about 45 minutes if you want to swing by the free communal luxury restaurant before we head up to the directly democratic neighborhood assembly. Absolutely, I'd love a big bowl of soup. No, this is a luxury restaurant, man. I'm not talking about, you know, when Andrew Yang installed a third pipe next to hot water and cold water that gave fresh, delicious soup, I was thrilled too. But you don't have to just eat that every day. You can actually go to the communal restaurant and get fine dining. Oh, I yeah, love yeah, the yeah. soup no, too. I wasn't talking about the universal basic soup. I was talking about the fancy, wonderful soups that you can get at the restaurant in smaller quantities given, like, you can't have as much as you want, but they still, it's a pretty, it is a pretty big bowl. I guess maybe saying big bowl confused with the basic oh, soup, but yeah. Cause when you said big bowl, I was like at the restaurant, they give out actually more medium sized bowls, not the big bowl of universal basic soup you'd have at home. But that, that clarification really helped. Do you want to take the free high speed rail service there? The Legion of Builders and I guess destroyers. They don't seem to be destroying much anymore, but the Legion of Builders just put a new stop in just half a block away. So we'll get to the restaurant in no time. Sweet, yeah, let's catch the eco rail. You have any vacations planned for this month? I think I might have two, but I was thinking of a third. Whoa, three vacations, one month. Yeah, I just have so much extra money and like travel's free. So much stuff is free that it's like, why not take three vacations a month? Totally, yeah, no, it's the most normal thing in the world. I mean, I usually stick to 12, 13 vacations a year, but that's more of a personal preference about jet lag, that sort of stuff. I want to keep it special too. Yeah. And I just like, I'm a homebody, you know, like I, when I'm not working or spending time with friends, I'm kicking back at home watching all the movies I want and listening to all the music I want and playing all the video games I want for free forever because that's all been totally decommodified. The options endless, so I appreciate your version as well. Thanks. I appreciate that. What you have to say, I also value. And no, what's really cool is when racism ended. Do you remember that? Who could forget? Who could forget the end of racism? I'll never forget that day we all stepped out in the streets and finally just held hands what? as one. Just no all more of racism. us. Yeah. What was that, like six, 12 months before the uh, Universal Basic Foreskin program? I felt that was good prioritization to end racism first and then move on to the UBF universal basic foreskin i totally agree yeah yeah it was the right call to end racism first <laughs> i really agree <laughs> that's if i had to pick one up yeah end racism for sure yeah mm -hmm. that's that's why i voted for yang that's why i voted for yang it's because i knew i could get both i could get it all i read the whole platform wonderful future we live in and so for the following generations 
a regular procession of new, democratically elected presidents increased the ethics and rationality of the society, moving ever towards a more democratic and participatory ecological society which takes care of all and gives all opportunity moving closer and closer to an ever-receding horizon, that horizon called utopia. The end? Out of the, the whole democratic field, Yang's probably number three for me. But it's not a ranked ballot. It's winner take all. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know enough Blood about score. all the Democrats, but Yang and Bernie, the only two, have really even caught my eye. I'm assuming there's some good things. Elizabeth Warren's break up the social media companies things and interesting yeah and wealth tax wealth tax yeah that would be way better than vat no obviously wouldn't fund the four trillion dollar proposal but for what little it's worth i think that people should vote bernie in the primaries and not vote for andrew yang i think andrew yang should run with the republican party after the collapse yeah i would love it if the republican party became the human-centered capitalism party and the democratic party became like the aoc bernie Democratic Socialist Party. Yeah, that's the history that I prefer. That's for the, sure. one of the futures we want to head towards. <laughs> I think you might have more success if you continue on your anti-Yang warpath, if you spent a bit more time acknowledging some of the good things at the top of your posts, because I think then the people you're arguing with wouldn't feel so oppositional to you. They would feel like, oh, this guy does understand what's good, so I don't have to keep telling him what's good over and over again. Yeah, I mean, I think there, there's like some truth to the idea that the rhetoric of automation and some of the, like, the proposals that Yang is bringing are definitely part of a, I think, legitimately coming from a grassroots place and a type of politics that is innovative and new. And I see overlap between what Yang is doing and what I think needs to be done. Right. And, and I don't want to like pretend that's not true out of a partisan mindset, although I'm extremely tempted to. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I do remember you calling his plan deadly in some comments on Facebook and me being like, ah, oh, just not going to engage. Not gonna engage. <laughs> <laughs> well, so what I think is deadly is that when you're electing someone who has no relevant experience within politics and politics mm, is yeah. actually like hard. It's not like, it's, it's not like you get in and then you're just like write on a piece of paper. This is what needs to happen and sign it. And then it's like, they'll take care of it. It's now ha like, no, yeah, there's tons of people you have to deal with. This is why I would never go into real politics. And it's the hardest thing I could imagine. So yeah, I think when it comes to elected office, electoral politics and engaging with the structures of power as they exist, it's really, really complicated to actually do things. Yeah. It's really, really complicated to pull off free you point out, okay, free college is smaller than giving everyone money. Yeah, it is in in the sense of like it affects a fewer amount of like you could argue it benefits society as a whole, and I yeah. think it definitely does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But even administering something as fractional as free college is an incomprehensibly large undertaking that involves a bunch of coordination beyond the scope of any individual mind. What I call deadly in the heat of the comment section is the idea that someone could be elected that would promise more than they can deliver and sour people on the idea of big promises which are deliverable so yeah i mean and, and it's a good point he's like oh he's a private sector guy who thinks he can just step into government yeah, and be yeah, this yeah. revolutionary we're gonna cut the size of government and then do so much innovation that government's gonna work so good it's like that is a naive position and even kevin o'leary the famous canadian businessman from uh 
Dragon's Den, the TV show Dragon's Den, where people pitch their products. He tried running for leader of the Conservative Party, and his comment at the end was, politicians work way fucking harder than I thought they did. That was the hardest thing I've ever worked on anything right, in my life. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I barely even noticed he was running. Like, <laughs> he put in all that work, and, like, without you mentioning it to me at the time, I probably wouldn't even have known that he ran for the Conservative Party leadership. How much do you know about the Canadian election coming up? Oh, um, Trudeau just had a scandal where he was... Oh, God, I know what what this scandal is. He asked the attorney general to give favorable something to a company that... He he said it was for Canadian jobs, but it was like somewhere that votes for him and like he wanted to keep jobs. Anyway, he was he did some dirty dealings, like asking for favorable stuff that would benefit him. So that's a whole big thing. Andrew Shear, don't know much about him. He's the conservative leader. He spoke at an event that Faith Goldie spoke at recently. I saw that headline. People are ringing him up about that. Jagmeet Singh, leader of the NDP currently. The only thing I know about him is that part of his platform or things that he's talked about in the past is decriminalizing all drugs, which I love. And NDP is pretty good. And the election is going to happen in October? September? October. 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 Yeah, that's uh, that's about what I know. Yeah, we're a Canadian show, you know? Let's talk about this on the way out. There's a basic income connection. Didn't the Liberals say at one point, Justin Trudeau's party, that they were going to look into a basic income or like there was going to be a committee to look into a committee or something? So yeah, the, the Liberal Party of Ontario did a basic income pilot, but then after Kathleen Wynne, the Premier of Ontario under the Liberals, was pushed out of office by Doug Ford, who's sort of like our most populist premier right now. Yeah, um, if anyone remembers the crack-smoking Toronto mayor, was it Bob Ford? Rob Ford. Rob Ford, who died. He died, didn't he? He did, yeah. <laughs> Not from crack, but after the crack, and part of the same lifestyle that led to him yeah, smoking crack yeah. on video as a mayor. So his brother, who's like a yeah, populist right-wing guy. He, he ran on a platform, among other things, a buck a beer. Bring back a buck a beer. <laughs> Really? Yeah, yeah. A can of beer, one buck. A buck that's of beer. A, that's a great it's platform. Brilliant. Yeah. It's fucking brilliant. When I when I read that, I knew he was going to win. Yeah. Uh, it was like, it's really it's dumb policy, but it's smart campaigning. So the... Liberal in basic income, Kathleen Wynne. That's yeah, so that got scrapped by Doug Ford. And the Liberal General Party membership voted in favor of basic income at a conference. So it's like party policy according to the membership. It's never been implemented federally. Right. That was what I was thinking of. Provincially in BC, we've got an NDP government that's propped up by three green seats. And part of their agreement together to have them prop up the the NDP was that there would be a basic income pilot in BC. I'm not sure where it's at exactly in its funding and scope and stuff like that. But Mm. it's something that is being worked on, I know. Mm -hmm. And federally, Uh, There was recently a leadership race where Jagmeet Singh won. Uh, He's the first leader who is a person of color in Canada. He's a turban-wearing Sikh man, and he's a pretty good socialist overall. One of the people that he ran against for leadership was Guy Caron, who is from Quebec, and 
He ran on a platform of basic income, a specifically leftist version of basic income. And part of his argument was like, we need to claim basic income on the left. And Guy Caron's fucking dope. He also called for reducing the length of the workday to seven hours. And he also floated the idea of nationalizing SNC-Lavalin, which is like the company that Trudeau did the dickery around with the right. attorney general. Yeah. And he was like, well, one thing we could do is nationalize, because they're like sort of a too big to fail company and the engineering firm that works a lot with the government. And actually, SNC-Lavalin was sold off all for people in the audience who care about nuclear energy. Canada has been a big developer of Canadian nuclear technology. And under Harper, who was the prime minister before Trudeau, Harper sold off all of our Canadian nuclear patents that were designed and planned in the public sector to produce more efficient, less dangerous nuclear plants that can get more energy with less risk. What did the right-wing conservative government do? Well, they sold it off to this engineering firm for dimes on the dollar, pennies on the dollar. They still own those patents, those Canadian proud beaver Canadian pride patents they have now. So he's like, maybe we should nationalize these guys which I like to see. And, Sounds great. Yeah, and Andrew Shear is a crypto-fascist cabbage patch doll. He panders to the worst paranoia within the conservative circles in the modern time. There's Luckily, there's the People's Party of Canada, which is a split off of the conservative party that might split the right-wing vote. And they're a lot more like outwardly paranoiac, anti-trans, yeah. anti-immigrant, pro-weird conspiracy theory about the relationship between trans and immigrants. <laughs> they're, they're both part of the same evil plot. So now you know, for our American listeners and even probably some Canadian listeners, now you know that's where we're at in Canadian politics. Who I'm cheering for personally, I'd really like to see Jigmeet Singh win. People say it's a long shot, but the NDP recently was in opposition uh, in the, before Trudeau was elected, and there's a lot of desire for bold plans like a Green New Deal, you know, they talked about a childcare program, legalizing all drugs. I think there's an appetite for it, and I think that Jigmeet could win. Yeah, so anyways, uh, Canadian politics. Anytime you catch the word Grandpa Bernie in my mouth, you need to remind me to say three Jigmeets. <laughs> and I, I do think that, like, we on the left do need to claim basic income. Like, I'm glad that basic income is being discussed because of Andrew Yang. And I'm also glad that Andrew Yang is flawed the way he is because he's going to start the perfect conversation about the two basic incomes before us. There's a basic income that perpetuates the problems in the system and a basic income that more deeply alleviates the problems in the system and gets strongly to the point. And I think a good barometer for that is where are you in society and how much more money do you get from it? Like the idea that you're only gonna get $150 of basic income if you're on benefits in a certain way. Yeah. And then who's over there counting that money? Who is that? Oh, is that? Oh, it's Jeff Bezos. He's counting he's the full 1,000. <laughs> <laughs> takes time out of his month every month to be like, oh, my basic income, $1,000. One dollar bills, <laughs> one, two. Oh, that's all of it. Yeah, I've, uh, <laughs> they sent the whole check this time. <laughs> I'm not on any benefits, so I get the <laughs> full check. <laughs> uh, thank you for listening, everybody. This has been the Seriously Wrong Podcast. We are the wrong boys. And that's our stance on basic income, which is an important and necessary thing that we absolutely need to fight for and continue to keep in our thoughts and prayers. We need to definitely participate in really long comment threads 
arguing about the details, the minutia of basic income to make sure that when we pull it off, that we get it exactly right. Yeah. And just thank you for the work you've been doing there. You know, All these long comment threads. It's, it's tough. It's tough for me. It's, it's so good to hear someone thank me for it because, yeah, I think when I was on my like literally 400th comment or so on the subject <laughs> of basic income over the last couple of days, I was like, this is important narrative work. This is important revolutionary work. Someone's got to do it, but it's a thankless job. And so it turns out I was wrong in that moment. It's not a thankless job. It's a one-thank job. Oh, and a just quick thank you to Andrew Yang as well for bringing this all forward and for oh, yeah, wanting getting, to give get people this discussion in the primary. Yang, the, yeah, the trillions. 99%. Generous. Yeah. Have a great week, everyone. And especially you, Andrew. You know, campaigning's tough. You could take a break every now and then. Yeah, make sure you're getting enough sleep. I'm wrong, you're wrong, we're seriously wrong. I'm wrong, you're wrong, we're seriously wrong. Next time on Andrew Yang's Utopian Future, Trouble in Paradise. Mr. Yang, Mr. Yang. Yes, what is it? There's a constitutional crisis. The American people have elected someone who has been elected with ill intent. We need you to help set things straight, sir. You're the most beloved president of all time. You have to come out of retirement. You have to save America one more time. Uh, you know, there was a time when I would have found your offer very tempting. But with all the positive changes I've seen in American society since I was elected, I think America's got this. I don't think they need me. I don't think I'm some kind of hero uniquely capable of solving this problem. I think the American people have the tools, the resources, and the spirit to solve this problem without me. There's a immune system to this kind of stuff, and I, I believe that the system's resilient, the people are resilient, and they'll make it through this without me. I, I can't be there to save America every time it needs it. I did it once, and now I open my hands and I leave the world to the wind. This is a young person's fight. 10,000 miles away, a young boy at his only his second directly democratic confederated neighborhood assembly takes the stand to deliver a rousing speech. The rousing speech that many say would lead him to the presidency, the youngest president in the history of the United States at just 13 years old. This boy, Donald Trump Jr. Jr. Jr., direct descendant of President Donald J. Trump, becomes the de facto leader of the resistance and later goes on to become known as the greatest president in American history. A true utopian. Next time on Donald Trump Jr. 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 Mr. President, sir, I know you're the youngest president in history, but there's new laws that involve the specific struggles of 18 to 34 year olds. Are you up to the challenge? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm just 13 years old, but I reject the idea that 13 year olds can't pass policy for 18 to 34 year olds. My God, Donald Trump Jr. 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 You are proof that our genes alone do not define us. You're the greatest socialist in all of human history. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I, uh, my great-great-great-great-grandpa, huge loser. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, totally. I'm, yeah, 
people love that when I say that. So I'd say it a lot. It's a good but bet. I also have substance to my policies, which totally, I think yeah. helps as well. But you can get some easy points on your grandpa there, too. Yeah, people That's love it when politicking. you bash your great-great-great-great-grandpa. Yeah, for example, my great-great-great-great-grandpa was a real piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, classic bit. Yeah. <laughs> The old great, 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 great grandpa bashing. <laughs> Just common comedy in our world. Yeah, I feel like I really set the stage for that. Not to take all the credit for it, but a lot of people's great, 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 great grandpas were pieces of shit. It's kind of march of time and progress. It's a common experience people have. Yeah, I mean, who among us can guarantee that our great, 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 great grandpa wasn't a piece of shit? I mean, very few people probably was like, even if they were also an impressive person, they likely were also a piece of shit considering... You know, it's ru- anyways, the end. Uh, it's never really the end. Next time. <laughs> There's always another another moment after this moment. So the end's kind of a fake idea. Some food for thought here at the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we'll be back next week. Yeah. Won't we? I mean, barring some very strange experience, one of us dying, who knows, but very likely we will be, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, if and even like when this podcast that, ends, you're the listener. You're gonna go on. Like, there's a moment after you, the podcast ends where you exist. Like, it's not really an end. Yeah, yeah. And if this episode isn't brand new when you're listening to it, on all likelihood, you can just immediately listen to the next episode. So, like, there's a a real sort of fluidity from episode to episode if you so choose to sure yeah hit, hit up more than one episode in a row. So and even, even if this is a brand new episode for you, what are the chances you've listened to all of the old episodes? So there could be another episode to listen to after this, even if it's the first week after we released it. Yeah. Just saying. And, and, and in order to listen to all of the episodes, you'd have to be a donor on Patreon. It's right. six yeah. bucks a month, so you get the whole archive, including bonus episodes. Not to mention, you know, the first 60 episodes or so. The majority of them are behind the wall now. That's 2014-era stuff. There's some gems in there. Yeah, there's some gems. There's there's some hay and there's some needles in the haystack. Anyway, so that's the end of the episode, folks. And uh, it's no easy way to say this, but the audio feed will stop now. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess that is the next time. <laughs>